scripture uh, today comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. The word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. So we're studying the doctrines of peace for our personal conflicts, biblical wisdom for our personal conflicts, and for navigating through these divisive, polarized days in which our society lives. Christian wisdom for reconciliation and managing our conflicts well. I don't know if you've thought this to yourself, but I imagine that some of you have been thinking to yourselves in the last several weeks that we've been looking at this, this, uh, the doctrines of peace from the Bible. Hey, you know, Brian, why all the emphasis on reconciliation when I can just deal with offenses internally? If somebody hurts me and upsets me, or something happens that upsets me or offends me, I'll just deal with it internally. Why, why all this talk about managing our conflicts openly with one another. I can overlook things. I can let stuff roll off my back. I, I can forgive and forget. Or, or you may be thinking like your family never talked about stuff like this. Like maybe some of your families were stoic and, and you know, things happened, people blew up, there were problems, and then everybody just went to their own corners and cooled down and eventually went back to doing things the way they are without really diving into the issues uh, that caused the conflict. Um, I hear all that stuff, but listen, I want to respond to that by just quoting the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said, nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church he had planted in the region of Galatia in modern-day Turkey. It was a very tough letter. Uh, but near the end of that letter, he, he tells them, in chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers, if, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The success of our reconciliation depends upon how we approach one another in conflict. Our success in reconciliation and peacemaking depends upon the manner in which we approach or confront or respond to one another in our conflicts. So the, uh, the TV show The Office, there's this episode where Michael Scott is convinced that his employee Meredith is an alcoholic, and she is. But the way he decides to deal with it is he calls her out in front of the entire staff. 
and tries to get everybody to agree with him that Meredith is an alcoholic, and then he drives her to a rehab clinic and forces her in. Well, naturally, what happens is she refuses to go, and the rehab clinic staff kicks her out because of the manner in which she was brought in the first place. Michael was right. She had a problem, but his approach was terrible. Now, that's an obvious, dramatic, ridiculous example to make a point. Confronting one another in conflict requires gentleness. Because when somebody is injured, you need to handle them carefully. In Christian reconciliation, gentle restoration is always the goal. Now, it's not always the result, but it's always the goal to restore one another when we confront each other in our conflicts and over issues of sin and weakness. And I want to talk to you about how to approach one another in conflict. And actually, before you approach another person, how to approach yourself. Before you confront another person, how do you confront yourself? And then finally, I want to talk about approaching the Lord Jesus Christ who helps us in our conflicts. Because he's the key. So approaching another person, approaching yourself, and approaching Jesus Christ, the good shepherd in our conflicts. That's what we're going to look at today. So approaching other people to address concerns you have with them requires a gentleness that is guided by the Spirit of God impacting your life. If you go back and look at Galatians chapter 5, it's a short letter actually. You could read it in 20 minutes, maybe take a look at it later today or this week. But throughout Galatians chapter 5, Paul is talking about living our lives by the guidance and wisdom and power of the Holy Spirit in us. He talks about life by the Spirit. He talks about the fruits of the Holy Spirit that a Christian exhibits in their lives if they're letting the Holy Spirit guide them and lead them. Paul calls it keeping in step with the Spirit, walking with the Holy Spirit. And then finally, he concludes in chapter 6, verse 1, you who are spiritual, restore one another in a spirit of gentleness. And when Paul used that Greek word restore, it was the same word that you see in the Gospels when you hear about the disciples mending their fishing nets. The word meant to fix something. It also meant to train somebody up. You're in the process of repairing something or somebody. And in another letter to the Corinthians, Paul put it this way, aim for restoration. You see, that's the goal. That's the intent. That's the motivation behind confronting one another. He said, aim for, re for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So for Christians, the goal of confrontation is never punishment. It's always restoration. Any parent who loves their children and has to understand what motivates you when you discipline your kids un understands that. If, if, if you're disciplining out of anger and retribution and condemnation, it, it's not the same thing as disciplining out of love with wisdom and control, even if you have to be direct and firm. So for Christians, when we confront one another in conflict or when someone has sinned, as, as Chrissy said to the kids, the goal is never shame, 
or humiliation or condemnation. The goal is restoration. The goal is healing. And in order to restore one another, Paul says that requires gentleness, right? He uses the word gentleness, which is actually the same word that you see in the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew when Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Gentle means meekness. It means humility. Why was Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes able to say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God? Because peacemakers are meek. Peacemakers are gentle, humble people. It's what they do. They make peace with one another. So think about an old house, right? Um, what do you do when you decide to demolish an old house? Right? You buy a piece of property, you're like, forget it, I'm not trying to save this thing. I'm putting something up, you know, it's all the yuppie communities, right? Demolish the old houses and build something new in its place. So what you do when you decide to demolish a house is, what does it require? Force. Brute force and non-discrimination. Wrecking balls, bulldozers, and lots of muscle. Just tear the thing down and make it as if nothing were ever there, right? But what do you do when you decide to renovate it? When you make it an investment and you say, I'm not going to tear this thing down, I'm going to renovate it. I'm going to make it like new. That requires something else, right? It requires a whole lot of care. You need planning to renovate an old building. You need discernment. You may have to hire an architect. And you definitely need to know the building codes in your area. And you have to make particular choices in the design, in the aesthetics, right? What kind of flooring are you going to put in? And if you decide to use hardwood, what type of wood and what color stain are you going to go for? What should the bathroom fixtures be like? And what color should the paint be? All of these discerning details are acquired when instead of demolishing a building, you decide to renovate it. So, our conflicts and confronting one another requires no less gentle consideration. That's what Paul's saying. Jesus, on one very rare occasion, because you know, when you're looking for specific how-to, you know, five steps to living a better life, Jesus never satisfies you. He's, he's, he doesn't give you, here are the three steps by which you're going to do this. But there is one occasion where he did exactly that. It's Matthew chapter 18, where he talks about the process of confronting one another in sin or just in our conflicts. Jesus, on this rare occasion, actually gave us a blueprint for approaching one another. I find that interesting. He thought this was so important that he gave us a process, which is so rare to see in the Gospels. And here it is. He said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. See, Michael Scott should have listened to Jesus. Jesus goes on. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So that's Old Testament wisdom from the Torah. Wisdom for providing accountability in a situation when privacy is not effective or inappropriate. When privacy, when the one-on-one -on -one approach is not wise or safe, or when it is unsuccessful, the Old Testament said, 
There need to be witnesses. There needs to be accountability. And Jesus invokes that Old Testament wisdom here when the private one-on-one thing is ineffective or unwise. But he goes on. He says, if he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. You see what's happening? Jesus keeps expanding the circle of trust. And that circle expands only as the problem proves to be more and more difficult or as the individual offender becomes more and more difficult. But Jesus goes further. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, pause for a second, different denominations have different, uh, Christian churches have different types of government and leadership. So depending on the church you grew up in or the type of church we are, what tell it to the church means may vary. There may be a different, different application of it. Nonetheless, Jesus says, if he refuses even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, meaning remove him from your fellowship. Jesus showed how the manner of our approach in difficult situations that require gentle discernment, your approach has to fit the situation. It has to fit the relationship. It has to fit the environment. It it has to fit the type of person this is and what your relationship is like. It has to fit the time and the setting. We have to use discernment. And the fact that Jesus even gave us a a blueprint like this is in of itself a mercy. It sounds intimidating to hear what Jesus is saying, but the fact that he gives us a process is mercy in and of itself. It's a gentleness that Jesus even said, this is how you are to deal with one another. But there are instructions that are not in the blueprint that Jesus presupposed when he gave it to us. There are instructions you have to follow even before you get into this. And it's this. We've already talked about it. It's removing the logs from your eye. It's dealing with the idols in your heart that you have placed over God in importance and devotion in your life. Removing your logs and dealing with the idols of your heart is basically confronting yourself before you try and approach another person in a conflict. So Paul goes on to say in verse 1, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see that? Once again, self-awareness, self-reflection is critical in our conflicts. Aware of God, aware of yourself, and aware of other people. Critical. Now, I don't know if you caught this, but you got to ask yourself, is Paul contradicting himself in this passage? Because in verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens, right? And then, at the, and then in verse 5, he says, for each one will have to bear his own load. So he says, bear one another's burdens, and then he says, bear your own burden. So is he contradicting himself? Well, obviously he's not. Think about it this way. Think of an injured soldier or an injured athlete. How do they get off the field safely? A teammate carries them. A comrade carries them to safety. You've got to be healthy in order to help somebody else. The reason Paul says everyone has to carry their own load is because everybody needs to be able to stand on two stable feet in order to assist a hurting person. Otherwise, you're never going to get them to safety. 
And that's why everything we've been talking about in this, in this series, it's why it's all critical. This is why we don't just deal with it in our heads and forgive and forget and ignore it and just wait until everything calms down and tension blows over and go back to life as normal. This is why we deal with this stuff. Because we exist to glorify God. And he commands us to remove the logs from our eyes and deal with our own culpability in life and in conflict and, and uncover the idols of our hearts and deal with them and repent, each of us living in repentance so that new ways of thinking lead to new ways of living. All of this is so critical because you have to be able to stand on your own two feet. You have to be emotionally and spiritually stable enough to offer somebody else help. Only now, as you go through this process, in general, as you go through this process, only then will you be equipped to help another person. Only then will you be humble enough to approach someone else gently when they've offended you. Or when you see maybe they haven't offended you, but there's a real problem. Only by going through this process, repentance, self-awareness, can you approach somebody wisely and gently to actually get through to them or at least try in a wise way. And you know, all of this is true because through the process, you have discovered in your own repentance that God's been gentle with you. That's the motivation for this gentleness. God is gentle, and he's been so gentle with you. I had a friend uh, from college who had a beautiful illustration. Uh, imagine, um, imagine the sun coming out in the middle of winter and slowly melting the ice off of a tree that is bent because of the weight of an ice storm. If you try and correct that tree while it's covered in ice, you're going to break it. But the sun warms the tree, and as the tree heats up, the ice melts, and eventually that tree can stand upright again. That's what it looks like for Christians to restore one another gently. If we're undiscerning, if we're rough with one another, we run the risk of breaking each other. So God's been gentle with you. Pay that gentleness forward in your conflicts with each other. With a gentleness by which God has approached you, now you approach one another gently. That's really what Paul is saying. But in our world, especially right now, the default is aggressive confrontation, you know? Aggressive action. Act before they act. Kill them before they kill you. Now, we like to think we're more civilized than our ancestors, that we're less bloody um, or barbaric. But all you got to do to realize that the human heart hasn't changed in thousands of years is just watch what's happened on social media over the last decade. When things get tense with politics or social issues or big major events in our community or our society, just watch the way people treat each other on social media. We haven't changed in thousands of years. The default human tactic is to deal with our conflicts with aggressive confrontation, like road rage, right? But, but instead of being behind the wheel, you're behind your device or behind a, a computer screen. But it's all default aggressive confrontation. We do the exact opposite of what Jesus taught. Think of how many people have been called out, humiliated, embarrassed 
as Christians, do the opposite of what Jesus told us to do in Matthew chapter 18. You start in private, gently, and you only expand the circle of knowledge as the individual and the problem proves to be bigger and bigger and more complex and unwieldy. And by doing that, the wisdom in what Jesus said is that it, it, it avoids humiliating one another. It avoids shaming one another. We can deal with the issue appropriately and preserve one another's dignity. And if people refuse to change and they want to be the way they are, Jesus offers increasing accountability. That's what's so beautiful, and so often we don't do that. We just jump to trying to dominate one, one another, blame-shifting and accusing one another right away. You know, when you justify yourself by criticizing someone else, you demolish a person instead of renovate and restore them. That's the opposite. Jesus doesn't call us to demolish one another, but to build one another up. And often this is what it sounds like. I'm not that bad of a person. That, that's the diseased root of this type of fruit, this conflicted fruit in our lives. The diseased root of all of that is self-deception, and it's based in my pride, right? Because I say to myself, well, I'm not that bad. Or at least I'm not as bad as that person. And we use that to justify ourselves. And so Jesus told, he told a parable where a Pharisee, a really religious leader, did exactly that. Went into the temple and was praying and, and there was a despised tax collector. You know, like very wealthy but moral scum. And, and he says, he, he look, Jesus said, the guy looked up to heaven and he said, um, God, I thank you that I am not like that man. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. But then Jesus reveals that it was actually the tax collector who was the one that was right with God. Not the guy saying, I'm so glad I'm not like that person. So I think you have to ask yourself, how often is your own self-confidence based upon other people's faults? I have to ask myself, how often is my self-confidence based upon other people's sins that I don't commit? The answer is a lot, a lot. We do this a lot. It's our default. I'm not like that person, therefore I'm okay. And that's why our society and that's why we are so quick to demolish one another. And how did Paul put it? If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. There's the self-deception based in pride. But, Paul went on to say, let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor. Not in his neighbor's sin, not in his neighbor's weakness. So our goal, our goal and we, we like to say this when our kids were little, are we building one another up or are we tearing one another down? Approaching Jesus is really the key. Before we approach each other, even before I confront myself, I have to approach the Lord Jesus Christ who calls himself the good shepherd. He is a gentle savior and I approach Jesus before I approach you. As I confront myself, I do it in the presence of a gentle savior. That's the solution to this tension. 
Jesus said of himself, I am gentle and humble in heart. That word gentle is the same word Paul uses. I am meek. I am gentle and humble in heart, Jesus says. Remember in our call to worship today, we read together Isaiah chapter 40, where it says, Behold, the Lord comes with might, and we should be intimidated. But Isaiah went on to say, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. You see the power of God and the gentleness of God in Jesus Christ. You see the power of God judging your sin on a Roman cross when Jesus hung there carrying it all. And you see the gentleness of God in the fact that he didn't throw you up there on that cross. And Jesus seeks you. And it actually says, and this is the proof that confronting one another with discipline and conflict is all about restoration. Because the parable in Matthew 18, before Jesus gave his blueprint, it's the shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep and rejoices when he's found it. That's the goal of Christian confrontation. Always restoration. Gentle restoration by a gentle Savior. So if you approach, so whatever conflict you're thinking of and whoever you're thinking of or whatever the issue is, think of Jesus first. Before you think of them and what you're going to say to them and as you assess yourself, think of the Lord Jesus Christ who calls himself a good shepherd who is gentle and humble in heart. That's the approach that the tax collector had in the temple who, unlike the Pharisee, looked up. Actually, Jesus said he couldn't even look up to heaven. He just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that guy walked home justified. He didn't boast in his neighbor's weaknesses. If he had anything to boast in, it was the mercy and forgiveness of God. Now, it's true. I don't want you to misunderstand me. And it's not what this sermon is about, but I will say this briefly. Someone who is trapped in repetitive sin, destructive behavior, arrogant thinking, requires our firm, consistent accountability. Jesus could get angry. He's not saying being a Christian means you're a doormat or that you're a fool or that you're an imbecile. No. But you always err on the side of gentleness. Never err on the side of aggression. Gentleness always trumps aggression. Humility is greater than arrogance. That's the first thing we need to consider before we figure out how to practice tough love with someone who proves to be difficult. So I want to make sure that I clarify that. But in general, in our reconciliation with one another and certainly with our neighbors who are not Christians, gentle restoration is always the goal. A gentle God urges us to restore one another gently just like He gently restored each of us. Otherwise, we run the risk of demolishing one another instead of helping God's renovation process in each of us. So let's build each other up, okay, instead of tearing one another down. And listen, the next major election cycle that comes up in, what, two years? I'm not doing the math. You figure it out. Remember this right now. Because as our society and as the news feeds 
and the mobile phone feeds and everybody goes crazy like they did several years ago, remember this. Tuck this away somewhere. Build one another up. Do not tear one another down. Pay God's gentleness forward in our conflicts with each other. And next week, we're going to talk about forgiveness and what it looks like to forgive. Let's pray. Father, these are hard things for us to wrestle with. The things that Jesus says, the things that Paul calls us to do, we admit they don't come to us naturally. We're so quick to defend ourselves. We're so quick to justify our decisions and our actions, our behavior. Forgive us for putting self-defense above self-sacrifice. Teach us how to be more like the good shepherd, our gentle savior, Jesus. And help us to approach one another in our conflicts and to approach those who are caught in sin gently, respectfully, with much wisdom. Amen.